0: friday edition of pftpm miles simmons mike florio here for the next hour as we typically are every weekday to talk about the things happening in the national football league miles i i would say something sarcastic or witty or snarky but i don't have anything other than to say hello and i hope you're enjoying the holiday season as it has unfolded thus far
1: Wow! Nothing snarky from you to open the show. Not even another Friday closer to death, Mike. What's going on? You, you tired a little bit? You, you know the, the Vikings wear you out last night with that horrible second half clock management. I was I was appalled by that. I'll tell you that.
0: Serenity now, serenity now. <laughs> I just think that the whole Friday closer to death thing during the holiday season does it. It doesn't fit. Oh. It doesn't fit, and I, forgot, and I forgot about it. Like I said, yeah, the only reason needed. I didn't say anything sarcastic out of the gates is I couldn't think of anything because, I don't know, it's just one of those days. We'll see how this hour goes. It could be one of those days where I can't think of anything worth saying, and it may be because of what happened last night. What a pathetic display, up 29 nothing <laughs> with 20 minutes left in the there game, it yeah. and it yeah. still comes down yes. to the last... Yes. Yes.
1: Yes. Let it flow through you, Mike. Well, I'll tell you this. And I tweeted this last night. The the worst thing to me, was when you're up by that much in the second half, it's Thursday, right? You have to know what the situation is. You just played four days ago, and you lost to the pathetic Detroit Lions. The the Steelers just played four days ago, and they almost went to overtime in a knockdown, drag-it-out fight against the Baltimore Ravens. Why are you passing in the second half when your running back is averaging 9.9 yards per carry, and your second running back is averaging 6.3? What kind of situational football is that? That is awful.
0: Well, well, we want to take advantage of the opportunity to work on the offense a little bit. Baloney. Baloney. You're right, especially when your team is trying to change the narrative that it can't hold the lead, that it can't play any game other than a game that goes down to the wire, that it can't close out an opponent that it has on the ropes. And last night was the worst possible example of it. And even though though they won – I think what it does is it reinforces the mindset that will apply at some point between now and the end of the season and possibly in the playoffs if they even get there, and I don't think they will, where they're up, there's time left, and on one sideline, the dread begins to creep in, and on the other sideline, oh, we're down 12 with five minutes left? We got these guys right where we want them because that's the opposite effect of it for as much as the Vikings are going to think, oh, no. The opponent's going to think, oh, yes, here we go. It's our time. And yeah. uh, to, I, so credit to the Steelers for not giving up. That was inspiring. And I kind of hope they would won the game because, in part, two, I would have been able to advocate loudly all day long to hit the reset button and get rid of everybody and sell the franchise in Minnesota if they had blown that one. But uh, kudos to the Steelers for not just saying it's not our night. We're going home. We're done. We're tired. We had that long game on Sunday. We just got to get out of here. We're not going to win this game. We're, You know, they, they did that against the Chargers, and it almost worked out, and then it against the Vikings, and it almost worked out.
1: You know, I had a tweet in my drafts that I was ready to send that was basically like, uh, you know, the when I was in high school, there was a game where we were beating the team so badly that we just did a running clock in the second half, and I feel like that's what the Steelers should be requesting right now. And then – they started to score and they picked off Kirk Cousins and they kept coming back. And I was like, I am glad I didn't hit send on that tweet because that would have been pretty bad for old takes exposed. Yeah, You know, I mean, well, they really should have won that game. with had his hands on the ball in the end zone. I love that guy. He's a good tight end.
0: I had one in the first half question, how big of a lead can the Vikings blow? And we almost found out right. the answer to that question <laughs> somewhere between 22 and 29 and then the other point that I made before it all started to fall apart, this is a report card game. This is a straight A's game for the Vikings yeah. where when you're bringing home, mom and dad say, why didn't you do this before? And we expect you to do it more often. Not not anymore. They did what they've always done. They, <laughs> did, they, they blew the final exam. They just managed to get out of the class without failing this time around. So crazy week for the Vikings and for the Steelers. And uh, we've burned about five minutes of the program without talking about anything that we are supposed to be talking about. Now we pivot to the main topic for today, and it comes to us from Houston, where the Texans don't get nearly enough attention because they stink. In an effort, possibly, to not stink down the stretch, they have decided to make a quarterback change. Here is head coach David Culley naming rookie Davis Mills the starting quarterback for the rest of the season.
1: I guess everybody want to know who the quarterback's going to be on Sunday, and it'll be Davis. Davis will be the quarterback on Sunday. Well, I felt like he gives us the best chance to win. And going forward,
0: he'll be the quarterback. Spoken like a guy who didn't make the decision because <laughs> there's no big decisions like that that are being made by the head coach. They're being made above him. Now, whether it's Nick Casario, Jack to be Cal McNair, some combination of the three, I don't know. But miles, my first thought when I saw this, they're tanking and yes. I have no problem with them tanking. I have no problem with it because it's a clear incentive. The way that the draft order is set up, there's no draft lottery in the NFL. We can talk about that in a minute. There is a clear bright line incentive temptation motivation when you know you're done and they're done they've been done there's four teams right now that are done when you know you're done oh and by the way the lions picked up a win and if they just get one more they're going to be above us because they got a tie they're going to be 214 and one we're going to be two and 15 we can secure that spot and we play the jaguars again who have two wins on the season we can we can lose that game, they win that game, they go to 3, we stay at 2, easy math for me to figure out. There's an incentive to do it because there's more value in having the high pick. You get the your your dibs on who you want. It can change the fortunes of a franchise to have that first overall pick. And the NFL refuses to acknowledge even the mere temptation to lose late in the regular season in the name of winning. The next year, the next year, the next year, and so on.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Well, and that's the thing about, you know, getting these draft picks and tanking and all these different types of things, especially with the Texans who haven't been able to get a high pick in a while because of those trades that they made when Bill O'Brien was still there. And that was kind of the thing that we were talking about last year when they got Nick Casario and then hired David Culley. It was like, okay, well, what are they going to do in order to really try to start improving that roster? So they now are going to have a chance to do it now. It's still so early and because you know i focus all my time on the nfl i don't know exactly who they'd be tanking for i know i've seen some stuff about that uh michigan defensive end and he's very good but i don't necessarily think it's all it's just about the player that they could get with the first overall pick it's also all right if maybe say somebody wants to jump up to that number 1 overall pick who could they then trade down and get and not just in the first round, but then you go into those later rounds, the higher pick you have, the more draft capital you have. And the more you can say, all right, well, I'm going to go down, you know, in the third round to let's call it the middle of the round and somebody else is going to trade up, but then they're going to give me, not just this third year, uh, a third round pick, Uh, for this year, but maybe also a fourth round pick or another five. You just are able to kind of stack picks and get more players in the building that way. So I understand what they're doing from a team building standpoint right now. You know, the, the best chance to win does not necessarily mean from weeks 14 through 18 this season. It could mean, you know, from down the road into 2022, 2023 and beyond
0: that. And you make a great point. If you secure that number one pick, it's not just round one, it's two through seven. It's the first pick in round two after all of the picks have been made in round one. And there's like 18 hours until round two starts again. And you can open the market for bidding on that top pick in round two. You do the same thing round four after rounds two and three. You have overnight for offers to be made, deals to be done. It's a huge asset. And there's value in having that asset. And it, it, it's one of the things about me, or about, not, not about me, but about the NFL that fascinates me. There are a few things about me that fascinate me. There is one thing about the NFL among many that fascinate me, and that is the fact that the NFL refuses, refuses to even entertain the idea that this happens. And it happened. In the final regular season game in 2014, the Buccaneers were leading the Saints by double digits. They wanted to nail down the rights to Jameis Winston. That's the guy they wanted. They removed half their starters, and they lost the game to the Saints. And by losing to the Saints in a meaningless week 17 game, they won the the rights to Jameis Winston. And, you know, I've made that argument, and it's plain as day. And I've said it, and people say, "Well, well, Winston ended up stinking. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that the guy they wanted was good. The point is, that's what they wanted, that's what they did, and they went and got him, and it happens. And it's not about asking the players to lay down. It's about putting players on the field that you know aren't good. Miles, if they signed me to play quarterback on Sunday, I would go out and try my damnedest to win, and I wouldn't. But I'm not tanking but them being stupid enough to let me play is tanking.
1: Yes. Well, it happened more recently than 2014. I mean, we can go to last year in that last game of the season that the Eagles played, right, where they end up putting in uh, Nate Sudfeld, I believe, is the man's name. I apologize if I'm not getting that right. Yeah, okay. So they put in Sudfeld in the second half instead of Jalen Hurts, and it's kind of like, well, wait a minute. What the hell is going on here? And that's basically what's happening. They are trying to lose in some way so that they get the rights – to a higher pick again not just in round one but then everywhere else going forward so Okay, like I don't think Davis Mills is just out there just because like, oh, uh, well, we know we suck and we can't win any games or da-da-da-da-da, and like, we don't actually believe in him. And it's, it's also an audition for him. And yeah, the more experience he gets right now, also the better backup quarterback he's going to be going forward. So they still have him under contract for three more years beyond this season. Whether or not they get their quarterback conundrum, if you want to call it that, solved in this offseason or beyond, they're going to have something with davis Knowles. where you can at least put him out there and he can effectively run the offense is he gonna be a prolific guy is he gonna turn into somebody like kirk cousins for instance probably not at least not based on the early returns but at least you have a guy out there with some experience who you know can come in in a backup situation
0: and look those are all ways that they can sell what they're doing with a straight face. But to the extent that it does position them to get the highest pick in the draft, that's a good thing. That's a positive yeah. that comes out of this. They're not going to run the table with Davis Mills. We saw what they're going to do with Davis Mills. They have a better chance to win with Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor's not the future. They've got to figure out what they're going to do with Davis Mills. And they have the separate asset of Deshaun Watson's contract yep. that they need to figure out what to do with in the offseason so Nick Casario trying to turn this team around willing to take the hits now because who who really (laughs) cares and I've said this before once you know you're not making the playoffs who cares you win by losing the NFL hates even entertaining that idea Miles I think they don't have a draft lottery in the NFL which could become a huge offseason tentpole event currently we have scouting combine free agency and the draft they try to make the start of training camp into a thing this year good luck with that a draft lottery would be huge. A draft oh. lottery would be compelling. But what a draft lottery does, especially if they do it based on you get more chances if you are worse and fewer chances if you're better. Let's say they would do the the 20. It's not 20 anymore. It's 18 non-playoff teams. Um, you acknowledge that there's an incentive to enhance your standing for the draft lottery They're 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 blurring the line now as it is the line becomes unblurred if you have a draft lottery that's why they'll never do it even though it would be a great business move for them to have a draft lottery and I suspect there have been people in that league office over the years that have said hey we want to make more money this is free money what are the production costs of a studio we have a studio we bring in a, a, a one of those lottery machines, and we put the ping pong balls in, and off we go. We'll, 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 we can name our price for that thing. Yeah,
1: that's probably true. I mean, it would be interesting. I mean, the people get really into the NBA draft lottery. I really don't. I, maybe I should, since I you know have Cavs gear behind me. I think, but like, I, I just I feel like in some ways it would make things a lot different, just because do you is it really fair? Uh, fair, whatever to like have a team that is just barely missing the playoffs, right? Still have a good chance or a chance at all at the number one overall pick without having to surrender some other type of asset, right? That's what made that trade that the Rams made um, to get up to number one for Jared Goff. So unique was because they were jumping all the way up from 15 to, to number one and teams don't really get to do that. So what they had to do was trade multiple first round picks, trade other picks within that draft in 16 so that they could have the shot at getting up to number one, because that was a seven and nine team that was going up to number one, which was what uh, the Titans were the two and four, three and 13 and 15. I can't quite remember off the top of my head. So it's just one of those things where it would really kind of change the way teams have to evaluate not only their own players, but, what their chances are on the season, I feel like.
0: I, I, I think that a draft lottery would be incredibly compelling for the NFL because as much interest as there is in the draft and the NFL draft draws much more interest than any of the other drafts combined. You could put Absolutely. them all in a and it's still nothing close to the NFL draft. Yep. I, I you know, I, I've wrestled with the idea of what a draft lottery would look like. Should all 32 teams have equal shots at at getting the first pick. That would definitely remove any and all temptation to ever tank. At a minimum, the non-playoff teams. Because no one's going to say, hey, you know, we're probably going to get our asses kicked in the first round of the playoffs. Let's just go ahead and not make the playoffs, and maybe we get a shot at getting the first overall pick in the draft. I don't think anybody would have the temptation to not make the playoffs. I think that would be ludicrous. But I'd I'd like to think that they'd come up with something that would eliminate the temptation to tank so all the games would have the full and complete integrity. And this is where it comes down to the influence of gambling. I think it's imperative that the NFL remove any temptation to not put your best foot forward, to have a switcheroo in the middle of a game. At least the Texans are doing it in a way that it does protect the integrity of the gambling because everybody knows it's Davis Mills. Everybody knows. It's not going to be Davis Mills' second half Because, you know, we may win this game. No, 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 no. We need to evaluate Davis Mills for the final two quarters so we don't actually win the game. So if you're letting everyone know ahead of time, I think that's a way to deal with the potential gambling concern because then Vegas can set the lines and the other prop bets the right way. But I think that's part of it too, Miles. You ultimately want to have every team in a position to try to win every game, to have no temptation to not win every game. And you want to do that to further support the notion that that you do have integrity, not just in your games, but in your bets.
1: That's interesting. The the phrase, right? The integrity of gambling. It's not something that people probably ever think about, you know, integrity and gambling uh, kind of seem like two uh, very disconnected terms, but yeah, I mean, if you, want to have people bet on things. And everybody obviously does. There's a lot of money in sports betting as we can continue to see by some of the contracts that these places are handing out um, to different outlets. Right. So I think it's interesting when you put it that way, because you do, you want to make sure that every week people have something reliable to bet on. And it's not just something ridiculous that then we're going to be talking about, you know, on this show, on on different shows that people have on different media outlets where it's like, Oh my gosh, can you believe what happened and all oh, how, Oh my gosh, all this money that's now doing different things than it probably should have because these teams decided to do one thing when they could have done another. But it, when you go back to it, right, it's just the draft in general is just one of these things. And I think we talked about this, you know, back in the spring in March and April where it's a little bit un-American where you don't have any say when you're a young player of where exactly you're going to go. And Colin Murray kind of brought that up this week when he was talking about facing Aaron Donald, where he started to say, yeah, well, I mean, it's what I signed up for. And he's like, well, wait a minute. I didn't actually sign up for it. But, you know, when you get drafted to the NFC West, that's the first thing that you think of is, oh, my gosh, Aaron Donald's going to chase me around twice a year.
0: Yeah, and uh, the topics we're discussing are chapters in Playmakers. My new they book are. comes out on March 15. Have you actually read any of it? Are you I saying have, they no, are because you've read some of it or you're they yes. are like you're surprised to find out?
1: No, I'm not surprised to find that out at all. I, I, It's in my room. It's actually by my bedside. If I I should have it next to me so I could like hold it up, the advanced reading copy. But no, I, I read, I've read some of it. I've not read all of it because I don't read all that often because I write for a living. And so I want to get away from words sometimes. But no, I have spent the time and I'm like a, a quarter or a third of the way through it.
0: That's not bad. That's not bad. I, I do radio with Paul Allen in Minnesota every week, and, and he lies and acts like he's read it, and he just, like, makes something up. Oh, I'm up to this part. It's like, it's not even, it's like, why are you even trying to do this? But, but I will say this. It is difficult when you follow football all the time. This is part of the reasoning why the book's coming out in March. I'm, I'm, I'm making an educated guess here that, you know, during football season, we're inundated with football content. Who's going to buy yes. football books in football season? That was the argument I made to the publisher. Our highest traffic day is right around the 15th of March. People are interested in football and they're not getting football games. That's when football books should be coming out because you, you want football. You've got football. Now, like, for example, the Seth Wickersham book, It's Better to Be Feared About the Patriots. I'm not going to read that until February, March, or April. And yeah. I, you know, I've heard great things about it. I don't care. I'm not I can't I can't do it if I read anything now it's fiction as a break from right. you know football 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 all the time so anyway let's move on um okay. no break from the Washington Dallas rivalry this week because Mike McCarthy has thrown a little gasoline on the fire by essentially guaranteeing a win Ron Rivera the coach of the Washington football team responded to that now Jerry Jones is splashing a little extra on top of it maybe not gasoline not necessarily jet fuel maybe some of the the lighter fluid you know like when you squirt it on the fire and it, it gets a quick and it goes away quickly here's that little that little flash fire from jerry jones i used to you know i was i used to love doing that as a kid i had no idea it's yeah <laughs> not that i was unsupervised running around the grill squirting lighter fluid but well, i used to love it when
1: like it would, the pyro
0: <laughs> i used to love the whoosh uh hey i was a kiss fan I mean, you, you know, you, you want to see that fire your flash whenever you can. No, but it was close, close. Oh, uh, 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 anyway, here's Jerry Jones talking about <laughs> the rivalry between Dallas and Washington on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas from earlier today. We uh, have always sold more uh, cowboy memorabilia hats, caps, T-shirt. We've always had our greatest fan support, positive coming from Washington. And uh that's uh, outside the Dallas area. Uh, Washington is where we have the most outside the Texas area. Uh, uh Washington is where we have the most support of all when you come to all the things you might count. Uh you know, a little twisting of the knife, a little sticking it and uh, uh, we've seen the images of FedEx Field in some of these Washington games. I don't know what it's going to look like on Sunday because maybe it will be full of Cowboys fans. There's a lot of empty seats at those games, and the support just isn't there. The team hasn't been good. But you know what? Lately, they have been. They've won four in a row. They're in a position to make things extremely interesting in the NFC East if they beat the Cowboys because it's a two-game lead by Dallas. There's five games left, and Washington and Dallas play twice down the stretch. So this went from a game that was, you know, mildly interesting to a very compelling like this is the one to watch in the one o'clock window between that one oh wait san francisco and cincinnati's late afternoon as well that's the one then maybe ravens browns i I gotta i gotta throw ravens browns into it uh since it's the rematch of a game from two weeks ago Mm -hmm. and it's a critical game in the afc north but dallas washington is a huge huge game it feels like it should be played later in the day
1: yeah, you know what? It, it does. And it's really interesting kind of that it's not. But I think that I also thought it was interesting that you had Ron Rivera come out and say multiple times this week, like, hey, we need our fans in the building. We need you guys to be loud. We need this. We need that. And it's not like something that's unknown, at least I feel like I knew it before, that there are a lot of Cowboys fans in the DMV area, because probably like you, Mike, they'd like to be a little bit contrarian, right? You got all these Washington fans, and Baltimore, the Ravens haven't been there except for, you know, 20, 25 years, so... Before that, you had people who were Washington fans and also Cowboys fans, and they like to clash, they like to argue, whatever it is. So it doesn't surprise me to hear Jerry Jones say that kind of thing, but it also wouldn't surprise me if there were a bunch of Cowboys fans in the stands because before Washington actually got on this run that they're on and they're starting to win more games, Cowboys fans probably picked those things up because they thought, hey, we might see the Cowboys clinch the NFC East in this building. So it'll be interesting to see what the division of fans is um, there at FedEx field. And who knows? I mean, like if it could sound like a Cowboys game, it'll be interesting to see if heineke has got to go silent count early. That's always a telltale sign of like what the fan support is like in the building. If your home quarterback has to go silent count in order to get the snap
0: you know the contrarian in me that made me not a steelers fan growing up i would have glommed on to one of the other teams in the division if they all didn't stink at the time whether it's the browns <laughs> your browns the bengal's or wild. the oilers <laughs> they all stunk in the early 70s or maybe just maybe i would have been a fan of one of those three teams and if the ravens had been around then might oh, might have been might have been a ravens fan but but yeah well, the Colts it's just so were. stupid how stupid! How stupid that I just didn't go along with the crowd. <laughs> I would have gotten to enjoy six Super Bowl victories and counting uh, during my lifetime. Yeah. All right, um, real quickly, Josh McDaniels. That, well, that's true. I said that. I said that. Uh, yeah, uh, yesterday. I wouldn't be in this seat if if uh, that desire to have the team that I followed as a kid when a Super Bowl had come to fruition. I probably wouldn't be because it it kept me passionate about the NFL beyond the 70s, beyond the 80s, beyond the 90s, and we launched 20 years ago uh, as of November 1 of this year in 2001. All right, Josh McDaniels reportedly, according to SI.com, Albert Breer, could draw interest for the Bears coaching job. Now, look, I'm always... I, I, I don't mean any disrespect whatsoever to Albert Breer. I don't care who reported this. Anytime I see reports like this in december i'm always skeptical i'm always because agents are out there putting information into the mainstream people are doing favors for agents there's a little bit of a subtle quid pro quo and i'm not accusing albert of that it's just the way it is you gotta you gotta be very careful and i i don't like trafficking in those reports in the month of december because you never really know and and what what is it really could draw interest for that, well, a lot of people could draw interest for that job. If they're going to fire Matt so Nagy, <laughs> there's probably to, I could draw interest for that job. In theory, could draw interest. What's that mean? Could draw interest. So I you know, I've
1: been around Sean McVay. That probably makes me a better candidate than you.
0: <laughs> that's true. You once rode an elevator with Sean McVay. I, I once had a conversation with Sean McVay on a. On a people mover at the Orlando Airport, does that count? Uh, I don't know. But, uh, hey,
1: man, um, I know. I covered Sean McVay directly for two seasons, so and two and a half. I had an off season too, so you know. I mean, he knew who I was when he walked in the building, so I'll, I'll just say that. That should Miles, make me some Miles. kind of hello, candidate. Miles. Nice to see you, Miles. Hey, Miles.
0: Great <laughs> question, Miles. Hey, Miles. Let me tell you this, Miles. <laughs> Miles. 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 Oh, I just that. the whole name repetition thing. I'm sorry. He went to a seminar at one point, or he noticed somebody else doing it, and he thought, you you know what? I'll ingratiate myself to others if I use their names over and over and over again. It's very nice. So, Miles, as we discuss the prospects of Josh McDaniels coaching the Bears, Miles, we have to keep in mind the fact, Miles, that there may be plenty of other candidates and plenty of other teams, Miles, that are interested in Josh McDaniels. (laughs) Because look at what he's doing this year, Miles, with the New England Patriots. So uh, let's move on. Um, Real quickly, and I said real quickly on the last one. I'll say real quickly on this one, too, and then we'll take a break because we're kind of over a little bit. But it's not like we have anything coming up that we couldn't move around if we want to. Report today from Michael McCarthy of Front Office Sports. And this gets into the whole sports media craziness that is being fueled by gambling money. We saw what happened yesterday with the Pat McAfee deal with FanDuel, $30 per year, reportedly. We see what Amazon is planning to do, and they are planning to dive into the content pool cannonball style from the, from the high dive. I never went off the high dive as a kid. Never mustered the, the <laughs> really? will to go off the high dive. No, never could do I it. I didn't love never it, but do I, it. I've done it.
1: I don't like, I, do it. I don't, I'm not a big heights guy. I don't love roller coasters. I really don't like roller coasters. I, last time I was on a roller coaster, I ended up in tears. I was 21 years old.
0: I love roller coasters. Now, it's one thing to go on a roller coaster when you're 21, and to do it again when you're 40. When I turned 40, we went to Cedar Point. Awesome. place. Have you, have you, I'm sure you've been there. Shout it's out not to Cedar Point. From yes.
1: Oh, yes. Cedar yes, Point. Absolutely. Sandusky. No.
0: Yeah. Um, but uh, awesome. And I love. I you know over and over again. This roller coaster, that roller coaster. I went in 2005, right after I turned 40. Family went. My son and I. My son was fascinated with roller coasters. Hey, Dad's got to go sit down. Alex, <laughs> Dad, Dad doesn't feel right. Dad needs an aspirin. Uh, it's amazing what happens to like your brain and the you know the crystals and your equilibrium as you get a little older. The idea of going on a roller coaster now not good. But the high dive never would do it. I was afraid I was going to like fall off of the thing and land on the concrete. And just talking about it, yeah, I feel that 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 thing like that like you're peering off of a. Anyway, they're tell- I think they're telling me to hurry up. Um. All right. Anyway. What were you going
1: to talk about here? <laughs> you just I was going to talk about
0: jump. I was going to talk about Amazon doing the cannonball off the high dive that I never did, so I can't really relate to how, what it would feel like. They want to go after Peyton and Eli. They want to put oh. the Manning cast on Prime Video for Thursday night football, according to FrontOfficeSports.com. They've got two more years under their contract with ESPN, and at that point, what a face! At that point, uh, I'm talking about peyton by the way at that point they could swoop in and they they could they could pay whatever the mannings want and i have no idea what they're getting now but i'm sure it's not chump change so chump change times 10 and if nothing else it's going to force espn to either pay a whole lot it's just fascinating fascinating what's going to happen so between amazon and between all the sports books the world is going to change dramatically in the coming years we're already seeing it happening and I think we're, we're going to accept it as the new normal before you know it. Hope it changes for
1: us too, man.
0: <laughs> or at least well, me. I, I, well, I, I'll just say this. I had a conversation with someone about this not that long ago. And uh, the deals are stupid. The money is stupid. The business decisions are stupid. And as somebody who's going to be on the other side of stupid, I like stupid. Yeah. I'll take some stupid. <laughs> Give me stupid. Please. I'll take all the oh, yeah. stupid I can get. If they're going to be yeah. stupid, I'll sit there and let them be stupid. <laughs> so let's be stupid. Let's get stupid, people. Let's take a break. Woo. Bye for Friday. When this Friday edition of PFTPM continues right after this. Thank you. I was just informed of that by Tommy, and uh, that's, uh, that's awesome. You know, I'm just really, really happy for him. Congratulations to Jim and the whole staff, you know, and the players. Uh, to be the uh, the coach of the year in college football is a pretty remarkable accomplishment, and uh, to do it you know the way they did it this year, you know after being written off by so many, um, is uh, very uh, I don't know it's uh, it's a good feeling you know and I just I'm proud of him happy for him happy for all of them and uh, he's always been a great coach, and all those that want to pile on, you know especially some of the local media there, you know there you have it. You know, back in your face. That's how I look at it. He'd never say that, but I'll say it. We played that during the break, and I watched it very carefully the second time around to see if he did the scratch of his eye with his middle finger. He did not, because it was perfectly <laughs> timed. It's one of those perfectly timed... You know, to any of those out there that, that maybe want to, uh, you know, uh, you can uh, take that. And So it was not his middle finger. Yeah. It was his index finger. But, but maybe... Maybe the whole idea was to make people think it was his middle finger because it is a middle finger from Jim Harbaugh to all of his detractors that he's the AP coach of the year. So five for Friday, if the Michigan Wolverines managed to win a national championship, can you see Harbaugh returning to the NFL, possibly with the team that made him a first round pick in 1987, the Chicago bears?
1: I mean, I, I could, um, I don't necessarily know why he would want to leave uh, Michigan. I mean, unless it just feels like, yeah, mission accomplished, and then I can go to the NFL and I can do one thing that I haven't done, which is win a Super Bowl because my brother beat me the one time I got there as an NFL head coach. Uh, I-, I could also see – Um, The Bears being interested in Harbaugh just based on the way things went with San Francisco when they had Kaepernick and how he was able to train that young QB and build him up and make him a really good, productive player. So I I could see it happening, but do I think it will happen? Not necessarily.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know about Harbaugh coming back to the NFL Now, one of the reasons that his name had slipped off of the speculation list, it never was really at the top of the A-list. Nobody that I know of made a serious run at bringing him back because he just wasn't doing a good job at Michigan. And he's already two years past his shelf life. Everywhere else he had been. (laughs) Low-level assistant with the Raiders, four years. University of San Diego, four years. Stanford, four years. 49ers, four years. And one of the great quotes from a book Gary Myers did about football fathers and sons when Jack Harbaugh, the dad of Jim and John, would periodically have to move because he was taking a new coaching job somewhere else, there was one occasion where Jim came home and said, Dad, it's time to move again. I lost my last friend today. And that's kind of how Jim is. I mean, Jim will wear on people. And you just wonder at some point, do you make the move? When is the right time to make the move? And can you get some crazy, nutty coaching money at the NFL level? That's one of the things going to be fascinating right. this year. We saw Matt Rule get $9.5 million a year a couple of years ago. We see which way the wind is blowing at the college level. What is it going to take for a team that is ready to go all in for a coach to get him? Is it going to take $10 million a year right out of the gates? Is it going to take $15 million a year right out of the gates? Do the Bears want Jim Harbaugh so badly that they will dangle crazy money in his direction just to placate the fans? And wouldn't that be something if the Michigan coach and the Ohio State quarterback come together in Chicago? um, I can't rule out anything. What we've seen the last two weeks is so freaking nutty, Miles. I can't rule out anything at this point. Any move by anyone, anywhere, I will not say there's no way it's going to happen.
1: Yeah, I mean, I didn't see Michigan beating Ohio State, but then I don't want to necessarily watch all that much college football. But I don't know, man. I I think it could be at least an interesting, fascinating story if he were to come back to the NFL, especially playing for the, excuse me, coaching for the Bears. It certainly would be interesting. But, you know, it does. And he has that shelf life. And it's like, all right, do you want to be able to go all in with him, get what you can get, and then you know that there's going to be an inevitable split? Or if you're Harbaugh, do you just want to say, hey, man, I'm at, my alma mater, and I'm probably, especially now that I've gone to the college football playoff, they're not going to get rid of me anytime soon. This is a great job. It's a place that I love. You always have to weigh those things.
0: Well, and look, how many more contracts is he going to have? How much money does he think he's going to get? How much more will Michigan pay when you consider what USC is paying and LSU and, you know, the dominoes are falling? Those are all factors as well. They're not going to be worn on anyone's sleeve, but they're going to be real factors behind the scenes. Item two, Russell Wilson will play for the – Blank next season. Can we see the orange helmet? Cleveland Browns? Uh, uh, Who do you
1: think? uh, No, I, okay. I, I, I'm going to say Seahawks. I'm going to be boring, but this is because I, and I felt this way about Kirk Cousins a few years ago, like quarterbacks and their teams don't usually split when they have the chance to stay together, right? I mean, you just don't usually see that. And I feel like Russell Wilson's going to stay and it's a lot easier to replace the coaching staff. And Pete Carroll probably could be shown the door. I mean, you have these reports now that Jody Allen wants to get more involved in things and she wants to do this and she wants to do that. And if that's the case and you've got a franchise QB there, then that's probably where you're going to side and if there is two sides to this, which I feel like we can say that there are at this point. So I think that Russell Wilson's probably going to stay in Seattle and because I think that he probably is going to be somewhere else, Mike.
0: I believe that he will play for the Wow. It's, it's too early. Oh, it's too early. Wow a is a good punt. team. I, a if I have to know, I'm not going to punt. I'm not going to punt. I'm going to pick one. I'm going to say I'll play, play for the football Browns Oh, the Browns! I'm going to wow. say, I'm going to say he's going to play for the Browns because because 2018, when the Browns had the first pick in the draft, there was some talk about the number one overall pick that became Baker Mayfield going to Cleveland for or going to Seattle, excuse me, for Russell Wilson, and the Seahawks mm-hmm. would have taken Josh Allen. So, yeah, sorry, I uh, I, if so, if I had to pick a team right now, I would say the Browns. The, the reality is this: that report yesterday about he would. Wave his no-trade clause for the Saints, the Broncos, and the Jazz. Giants. It is too premature to begin to connect dots. Too many things need to happen. We don't know which coaches are going to be fired. We don't know which GMs are going to be fired. There's a lot of dust that needs to settle before we get to the point where Russell Wilson would even have the occasion to begin to put together his list of teams for which he'd waive his no-trade clause. Because when you hear the report that there are three, the implication is that there are 28 others for which he wouldn't. And I think that's not realistic. At all. There are other seats out there where they could need a quarterback. So it's definitely in play. And all the naysayers out there, you weren't paying attention to Russell Wilson. Miserable Russ a few days after the Super Bowl with Dan Patrick. You weren't paying attention to the statement from the agent. My client doesn't want to be traded, but if he were to be traded, he'd accept to trade to the Bears, the Raiders, the Saints, or the Cowboys. I mean, come on. Of course he wants out, unless they make major changes, and we'll see what they do. But it's too early to start connecting dots. The only reason we're doing it is because of the report from earlier this week, but I, I don't buy that one. I choose to not buy that one because it's too early for anybody to be picking the next destination of Russell Wilson.
1: So you sell it. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you too. I mean, I don't think that that's probably part of why I'm just saying the Seahawks at this point, because it's like, well, anything else, it is just too much speculation and not only that but I just think that there's going to be so much movement with quarterbacks in this offseason it's not necessarily just Russell Wilson what about Aaron Rodgers what about somebody like Derek Carr is he going to want to be able to go through another rebuild with another regime there in Las Vegas I think that there could just be so much that we don't necessarily know yet that yeah it's just it's too hard right now
0: next regime may not want him next coach may not be a Derek Carr guy it's not like right. Derek Carr is Peyton Manning where the next coach is going to say, well, of course I want – I mean, Tony, what, what a decision Tony Dungy had to make in 2002 when he became the Colts <laughs> coach. Do you want Peyton Manning? Hmm, let me think about it. Let me sleep on it. <laughs> um, so uh, we'll, we'll see how it all plays out. It's going to be a fascinating off offseason. I'm not just saying that so people come watch us and come to PFT. It is going to be a fascinating offseason. Will, will we have a head coach fired before the end of the regular season? If yes, who is the first to go? And remember, this year for the first time – Teams that have vacancies or teams that have informed their head coach he will be gone can begin interviewing with permission assistance from other teams in the final two weeks of the regular season. So I think the answer is yes. The question is, who goes first?
1: I think it'll probably be Matt Nagy because I think that he's going to have the worst record at that point point of coaches that could be fired it's probably him uh, Mike Zimmer or Vic Fangio were kind of the three coaches where it's like yeah there's probably something there where you might not make it to next year and there are different reasons for all that I think you know if the Vikings lose that game last night then we might not have to have this question because Mike Zimmer we might have heard that he got fired today right and so I think that with Nagy we don't know exactly when it's going to happen but it, it just seems like the Nagy era in Chicago was coming to an and with Vic Fangio in Denver you have a new general manager who did not pick him so that's something where they could want a new coach and they could want somebody to pair with Peyton who they actually who they you know mesh together and it's not an arranged marriage so I, I feel like it's going to be one of those three and I'm sorry if I now have taken your pick Mike
0: the 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 problem with Zimmer letting him go is you look at the staff there's nobody there who would yeah. be a competent interim coach. Zimmer could be the one who finds out week 17, he's not coming back, that it's over, that it's done. And that's one of the keys that allows the Vikings to begin interviewing other candidates that Zimmer's told you're the interim coach. Basically you're out, but you're the interim (laughs) coach. And at that point, it'd be funny. Does he just walk away? I don't know, but, but I don't think he would do that to his, to his players. Um, I'm going to throw Joe Judge in there as well as a possibility. I hadn't thought that, but I had a conversation today that got me thinking maybe the Giants aren't going to have an arranged marriage with their next GM. Because what happens is if you fire your GM, and it looks like Dave Gediman won't be back, whatever label they apply, he won't be back. If you want to keep Joe Judge, you tie a hand behind your back in your search for a GM because you're either going to get somebody who genuinely wants Judge – And that reduces your universe of coaches. Or you're going to get somebody who comes in under a cloak of duplicity who's saying, yeah, I want Judge, but secretly doesn't want Judge. And then in a year or two, you end up firing the coach and getting a new one. And then you're off kilter again. I'm a big believer in both guys going or both guys staying. I've always believed that. That promotes functionality. If that's the vibe in an organization, you never have one guy trying to stab the other in the back. You both go or you both stay. So I'm going to throw Judge in there as well, again, to give... The Giants, the benefit of the head start on trying to find their next coach. If you're the Steelers, where do you find your future quarterback? Draft, trade, free agency. What do you do?
1: I would say trade. I mean, I, I think if you're the Steelers, maybe you could become the leader in the clubhouse to get somebody like an Aaron Rodgers. Because I mean, it seemed like you know the Mike Tomlin and Aaron Rodgers were making eyes at each other during that game that they had earlier in the season. Also, the Steelers are a very stable organization. They're competitive every single year. They may finish below 500 this year, which would be, I think, the first time you guys were saying earlier on the show. I uh, mean, since like what 2000. 2003 that they've had a losing season they haven't had one under Mike Tomlin so they've got talent they've got the infrastructure um, to be able to win quickly so yeah I think Aaron Rodgers could be somebody that they could bring in if it's not Russell Wilson or if it's not somebody like Derek Carr too I mean they're they're a ready-made team I think that can still compete if they have a veteran QB come in.
0: They had a long 20 years between Terry Bradshaw and Ben Roethlisberger. I think they just need to position themselves to go get one of the top prospects. The problem is their record won't position them. They may have to trade up. But we've seen with Troy Polamalu, Santonio Holmes, Devin Bush... They will trade up for the guys they want. Kenny. It would be fascinating if they get Kenny Pickett all these years after they oh, turned boy. up their nose at Dan Marino when they thought Terry Bradshaw still had years left. As it turned out, he played in one more game after Marino was drafted by the Dolphins in 83. All right, last one very, very quickly. Season ends today. Who's your MVP?
1: Tom Brady, give me the old man as the MVP. You know, he's leading the league with 3,800 passing yards there just about. He's got 34 touchdowns, also leads the league, only has 10 picks. He's about also leading the league in passing attempts and completions. He's doing things that we've never seen anybody do, and I guess I'm giving him a bump for the age, but Tom Brady's my guy.
0: You know, I hate to say this. I hate to agree with you, but right now, yes, because Kyler Murray's missed three games. Otherwise, I'd say Kyler Murray. After five more games, and if the Cardinals are the one seed, it'll be Kyler Murray. It's For me, it's the quarterback of the one seed in the NFC. That's the MVP. So it's down, as a practical matter, to Brady, Murray, or Aaron Rodgers. All right, let's take a break. Uh, what we can't wait to see as Week 14 is upon us. We'll do that next year on this Friday edition of BFTPM. Joe, this week, is it add a little extra loop for you? uh yeah it does um yeah he's a good friend of mine and um I definitely want to hit him a few times that's Nick Bosa talking about Joe Burrow former Ohio State colleague for a while remember Burrow was at Ohio State before he went to LSU he wants to hit him a few times I think there's a little gronk DNA in the Bosa brothers I just get a little gronk vibe from those guys sometimes Is that just me
1: Oh, I can see that. Yeah. They're just kind of affable humans, at least in press conferences and when they're not on social media.
0: Uh, Without further ado, can't we can't wait to see on Sunday, you know, Miles, you know, on first.
1: Uh Well, you know, speaking right of, yeah, exactly right. Now, speaking of uh, Joe Burrow and Joey Bosa, I can't wait to see how Joe Burrow plays with that pinky injury. You know, he was really shaking it off, trying to shake it off, um, and like tried glove and then tape and splint and all these different things last week against the Chargers. Still managed to play the entire game. But, you know, when you have something like that and it affects you, no matter how you're holding the ball, it's going to affect you. It's your hand and your quarterback. They need him to play well to beat the 49ers. And this is a big game because Cincinnati needs to keep pace with these other teams in the AFC. So I'm really interested to see how Joe Burrow plays with that pinky
0: injury. I want to see what the Carolina Panthers do offensively, specifically Cam Newton, post Joe Brady. Newton did not want to get into any of the Joe Brady stuff. He did say that he feels partially responsible for what happened. I want to know what went on behind the curtain because the circumstances, bizarre. The timing, surreal, to have Brady out on Sunday when you had a whole week before that to make a change. So what is that offense going to do with Cam Newton without Joe Brady, Jeff Nixon calling the plays, and the Falcons coming to town. That one's going to be fascinating for me because Newton had one of his worst career games the last time we saw him in that blowout loss to the Miami Dolphins, Miles.
1: Oh, not just one of the worst games that he's had. I mean, one of the worst games you can have as a quarterback. He had a passer rating under 10. I think it was something like 5.6, 5.3, whatever it was. So I'm also glad that you didn't use the P word when talking about Cam Newton because, as he said, he's just trying to win a game. But another team that's trying to win a game this weekend, Buffalo, after that blowout loss. Well, not really blowout, but the, I mean, blowing away loss, we could call it, with the win that they had uh, to the Patriots the other day. I mean, they need to get back on the saddle. They need another win. And I think it's going to be tough for them to do it going down there to Tampa be, in part because it's going to be hot, but also in part because, and when you start having meltdowns in press conferences, like, we kind of saw from the two safeties, you know, that were Jordan Poyer and um, Micah Hyde in that press conference, when they're getting questions about, is it embarrassing? And you don't have to debate the merits of the question, but just the reaction that you have from that. And then Sean McDermott talking about the play calling and selection of Brian Dayball. Also, when you start having those kinds of things, that can be a little sign that trouble is afoot, right? So if they don't get this thing righted against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the bills may not make the playoffs.
0: Hey, I don't disagree with you at all, and they're going to go from windswept to swamp ass in just six days. And uh, <laughs> what a strange difference in conditions between what they saw yeah. Monday night to what they're going to see in Tampa on Sunday. And I agree with you, there are serious cracks in the foundation. That's why one of my favorite plays of the week, folks, if you're inclined to do this, if you're in a legal jurisdiction or otherwise, Buck's given three and a half, really? I think it's going to be an ugly, long day for the buffalo bills in tampa next one for me and this involves your browns and your browns got a gift here's what your browns got your (laughs) browns got an eight-quarter game against the baltimore ravens with the longest halftime you could ever have and if i'm the ravens i'd be so pissed about this because you've got browns playing at the ravens by week host the ravens so you don't got to think about anybody else you have to focus on anyone else You've got a 14-day halftime between your first four quarters against the Ravens and your second four quarters. And yeah, they've lost the first four, but they can still force a tie and they've got the advantage of figuring out what they're going to do. It's the same team. It's the team we just prepared for. We're going to prepare for them again. They probably spent some time getting ahead of themselves and focusing more on some upcoming opponents. They've got you know incentive to try to get ready to run the table and Baker Mayfield talked about that this week but I'm surprised we haven't heard any complaints from the Ravens about this because while the Browns had 14 days between two games against the Ravens the Ravens had to play the Steelers in Pittsburgh so there's just something about that scheduling quirk I don't like
1: no, I agree with you. I don't think that that's necessarily fair to the Ravens, but I also don't think that the Ravens as a franchise should exist with all of the history and whatever they they were able to basically take from my birthright team of the, you know, orange helmet behind me. So, you know, turnabout's fair play if it's like 25, 26 years later and it's a little scheduling quirk. So, you know, go Browns. That's all I'm going to say.
0: Uh, let's, uh, <laughs> let's go ahead and take a break. Bust open the mailbag as we wrap up this Friday edition of PFTPM right after this.
1: Can we just talk about Cunningham's skill set a little bit and what, you know,
0: what the reason was? Right, this is ridiculous. Like, tell him who's out. This is so stupid, it's a waste of my time, man. Mike Vrabel did not want to answer questions about Zach Cunningham, really? a guy who was cut for disciplinary reasons by the Texans, claimed on waivers by the Titans. Vrabel, I, I like it. I like it. I, they I don't weren't know. even asking I him about like the it.
1: disciplinary reasons. They're just asking, like that question was, "What did you like about his skill set?" And there was the third question that they'd asked about uh, the, about Cunningham, and he was just like, "No, I'm done. I'm done." Because he's like, Sometimes- "You're gonna talk about him next week?" Like, okay, but like we don't know anything about this guy. Weird.
0: Sometimes I wonder whether there's a disconnect in Tennessee between John Robinson and Mike Vrabel, because back when they traded for Julio Jones, I kind of had a sense that maybe Vrabel wasn't on board with it. Because if you remember, it was only Robinson who was trotted out to the media to talk about it. There wasn't any Vrabel press conference. There wasn't any Vrabel radio tour talking about Julio Jones. I just get something I keep an eye on how on the same page are those two guys in any organization. Uh, Justin TBF can Jonathan Taylor continue his ramped up play through the rest of the season and win the MVP miles look I still think it's going to be the quarterback of the one seed in the NFC Jonathan Taylor is going to have to have to have a very strong finishing kick he's going to have to to have huge numbers before I would would twist my vision from top seed quarterback in the NFC over to Jonathan Taylor although he's got a chance he's going to have to do a lot
1: yeah, I agree. I mean, like, unless it's a running back that's having a completely special year, like if he were carrying the Colts like uh, Derrick Henry had been carrying the Titans for so long, you know, where he's on um, pace for like over 2,000 yards, he's going to break records, he's going to do this, he's going to do that, then that to me is what an MVP looks like as a running back. But otherwise, the quarterback just has to do so much and it's just the most important position that, yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to give MVP to a quarterback usually.
0: He's got 1,348 rushing yards through 13 games. That puts him roughly in the range of 1,800 for the season. I just don't think that's enough. Now, if they'd win the division, if they'd take the division from the Tennessee Titans, it's not going to be easy to do. But something like that maybe would get my attention. But it's going to take a lot. That's it. Thanks, as always, for some of your time. Enjoy the games this weekend. We'll see you Monday morning.